over and over and over again the story of Jesus. I love it. It's like it's, it's a wonderful conspiracy that through beautiful, simple, um, innocent songs, so to speak, that we think that the truth of this season in some ways continues to get declared. Yet my sense is, is that even though that familiar story drifts over and through our consciences as we shop and go about our driving on the radio and on TV, that probably even though the message is out there, for most people in America, it's not settling in. And if it is settling in, if the story is making its landing on our imaginations, our conscience, it's probably not with the meaning of what the true story is about. We get a manger image. We get a, a, a woman on a donkey image. We get a shining star image. And we have some of these religious symbols that impact our culture, but without context, without re- re- relevance to what they're all about. Because in reality... For those of us who understand the Christmas story, the Christmas story is actually kind of disturbing. It's kind of uh, unbelievable. And if we actually look at the actual components of just Jesus' birth alone, without even taking into consideration the life that He lived, it's, it's unbelievable. Can we look at that this morning? Can we look at Christmas maybe from a different lens or maybe an enhanced lens from the way that we, we sing about it with children's choirs and we go about it with um, little displays on our front lawn and maybe consider what this might have really been like? Because when I think about it and when you've probably thought about it, if you've thought about it long, it's pretty amazing. Matthew 1, look with me, verse 18. Let's just start with Mary and Joseph. In this conception. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said Through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home to be his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Listen to... um, a theologian from the Bible Knowledge Commentary give uh, context for this passage of Scripture. He, goes, he says this, Marriages were arranged for individuals by parents during this time, and contracts were negotiated. 
After this was accomplished, the individuals were considered married and were called husband and wife. They did not, however, begin to live together. Instead, the woman continued to live with her parents and the man with his for one year. The waiting period was to demonstrate the faithfulness of the pledge of purity given concerning the bride. If she was found to be with child in this period, she was obviously not pure, but had been involved in an unfaithful relationship. Therefore, the marriage could be annulled. If, however, the one-year waiting period demonstrated the purity of the bride, the husband would then go to the house of the bride's parents and in a grand processional march, lead his bride back to his home. There they would begin to live together as husband and wife and consummate their marriage physically. Matthew's story, the one that we just read, should be read with this background in mind. What is this commentator saying? He's saying, hey, listen, this is a scandalous story. They are pledged to be married, but they are living in separate homes. And lo and behold, Mary comes to Joseph one day and says, hey, I got something to tell you. I'm pregnant. The whole deal is, the whole engagement, the whole marriage is completely sent into another trajectory when he hears this confession. And let's just say that after the angelic visits of Mary and Joseph, which we read about, that it's not just Mary and Joseph, but because they're living in separate homes, it's their mom and dad and siblings and whoever. Do you get the sense of the story? And we know that also in the context of this culture, families were tight. So it's not just that a couple of people are brought into this story, but chances are there was a whole village of people that were brought into the story of, oh yeah, angels visited you at night and told you that this is what's happening. For those who were religious enough faith, maybe they bought into it, even with skepticism. But for most people, it is assumed that surrounding this conception, there was at least ridicule. There was probably judgment, and there was probably a shadow that Mary and Joseph lived under in this period of carrying of child, that something strange or unusual and probably sinful was going on in the Mary and Joseph household. This was the context in which Mary and Joseph were living those first few months of Jesus' conception and life within Mary. And yet we know in Isaiah 7.14 that this must come about for the prophetic words to be fulfilled over Jesus that He would be born of of a virgin and be called Emmanuel. We also know that not only does Mary and Joseph's life bear this place of ridicule or shame or potential ostracization, but we know that that was the very life of Jesus, not only from His birth, but for His life. That Jesus lived in this same place of being marginalized, living on the edges of society, fraternizing with sinners, disrupting the religious norms. It was not only His birth, not only Mary and Joseph's story, But the story of Jesus himself, can we relate? See, I think that the gospel and the story of God and his coming is not something for us to put in a manger and on display for once a year or to celebrate at different high moments of religious tradition through the years. But the story of Christ, the story of God coming to be among us, the story of Emmanuel is a story not only to be seen and to be understood, but it's to be felt because it is a story that we also understand in our own existence. 
This is a disturbing Christmas story if we take it in. Or how about we move on to Luke chapter 2, verse 4-7, and, and move beyond the place of conception and the story surrounding or the, maybe the, the rumors or the life lived in that moment for those, those eight or nine months to this journey. Read with me in Luke 2 where it says this, So Joseph also went up for the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged in the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Again, such a beautiful, wonderful Christmas carol story, right? Beautiful, pregnant woman on a donkey, probably riding side saddle. No sweat, smile on her face, completely joyful on the journey. I ran into um, a, a young pregnant mother last night, Kendra Aguilar, who is, is about to give birth at any moment. She was at the youth party last night, and she's due January 2nd, and she looked anything but pleasant and happy. <laughs> I tried to... She was pleasant. She, yeah, that's right. She carries herself well, but when I talked to her, she was like, the, her one sentence was, I said, how are you doing, Kendra? She says, I'm ready to get this thing out of me. This is uncomfortable. This is not convenient. This is a hard journey that I have been on, and I'm at the point of delivery, and I'm ready for this child. To, now, I, I, I looked at Kendra as I was thinking about the sermon I was about to preach, and I thought, now let me put her on a donkey, and I'd like for her to leave Watertown and be on a journey outside of town to a city that she's not from, by herself, with her husband, with no destination of, of, of bed for the night. That she's going to another town, fully pregnant. I mean, could this census have come at any other time but in month nine of my pregnancy? And then to get to the town and to not have a place to stay, but be told, O mother of the Savior of all mankind, we have a barn for you to sleep in. Now, we like to glamorize barns, but I grew up around barns. Barns aren't comfy. Barns are smelly. And barns usually have a lot of poop in them. They're uncomfortable, demeaning, Animal hotels, not human hotels. And this is what Joseph and Mary were given as their place of delivery. Smelly, poor beginnings. This was a desperate, tired, pregnant woman with a frantic, trying to provide but not doing a great job husband, looking for any place to have a baby. This is crazy stuff. This is not how one would think that the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior of all mankind would enter into the world. Not from their own tradition, not from their own understanding of this Messiah to come. What was God doing? God, angel, conception, journey, misunderstood. Not a palace of birth, but a royal stable, a manger. God couldn't have brought it about in a different way? Why? Out of wedlock, in a stable, would God do this? 
I'm imagining that even in the midst of Mary's pondering and Joseph's understanding because the angels have come, that there is still a continual revelation of God. Is this how you're going to do it? With us in this way? Can we relate? A journey, can any of us relate? Of a journey of unexpected, unexpected twists and turns? Of circumstances that we didn't predict or that we wouldn't have fashioned for ourselves? Of inheriting tasks or roles that maybe we wouldn't have signed up to take? And here they are. And here you are. And I pause. I pause because I only know from my own relative stories and my own friend stories that Christmas season can be a wonderful Christmas carol, beautiful, everyone home for Christmas story. But for many of us, we don't walk into Christmas with that perception. Christmas is hard for many of us. Christmas is, it stinks. It reminds us of things that we don't have or that we'd long to have. Maybe you are divorced. Maybe you have lost a spouse. Maybe you've lost parents. Maybe your kids are not with you. Maybe your kids don't want to come back home. Maybe there is something that is not quite idyllic for you in this time. It's a disturbing, hard Christmas for you. And yet God would say, as Mary and Joseph would say, as we see in the life of Christ, that this Christmas is for you. Because you see, Jesus didn't get, just get born in a smelly manger in unsettling and unpredictable circumstances, but that was Jesus' life, wasn't it? The Scripture says that of His own life, at, at times He only had a stone to lay His head. That there were times where He was under great praise and worship, and there were times where He was on the cliff being ready to be killed. Jesus lived that life of unpredictability. Jesus lived that life of rejection and isolation. And in many ways, um, provided through this Christmas story in his life an opportunity for all of us, no matter where we are now or where we've come from, an opportunity for, for hope. And how about lastly, um, in this story, the story of Herod. Sometimes we forget this story. Um, but what about Herod? Um, in Matthew 2, and in, in kind of what this all says to us in the story, Matthew 2, verses, verse 13, it says, When they had gone and an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill you. So we, we remember the story, I won't go on and read the rest of it, but you know the, the context of the story that Herod is king and he's heard that there's going to be a king who is born. And if, if you're a king, you want to make sure that you protect your throne from other king wannabes. And that there was a story around that this king would be the Messiah and that there would, in, in his mind, be a, a challenge to his, his authority. And so what does any good king do that has a challenge to his authority? He kills everybody that challenges his authority. And at this point, it was a, a baby or a, a young child. And so the angel warns Mary and Joseph, and they escape. And after they escape, Herod issues an edict to kill every male child of two years old or younger. 
So the whole Bethlehem region is, is under a massacre of their sons at the hand of the king. And in this shadow, Jesus is whisked away. And then after, after they hear, the Scripture says in that passage, after they hear that Herod has died, they come back, but they realize that the, 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 the ruler on the throne is not, not that great of a ruler himself. And so instead of going back to their, to their hometown, they settle in another region in Galilee, in the town of Nazareth. All of these things, present time circumstances that fulfill prophecy of him being out of sent out of Egypt, of being a Nazarene. All of these prophetic words throughout Old Testament Scripture are fulfilled through the present circumstances that are at hand. But the story is that there is a murderer, a king, with authority and power after Jesus' life. And we know that behind that king's murderous threats is Satan, the father of murder, The father of death. The one who always tries to preempt and destroy the plan of God before it happens. Remember Moses? Sound like a familiar story, right? Moses, the deliverer of the the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, protected as massacre happened. The devil always trying to preempt the life work of God through an abortive death, an abortion of the circumstances of God's purpose. We know that Jesus not only survived that birth and then also the whisking away of his parents out of that place of danger, but we know that Jesus' life was continually pursued by the breath and the accusations of that murderer, Satan, don't we? We know that at the very point of his birth and existence through through to the very end of his life, an early life, by the way, a death at the age of 33, that Jesus was pursued by the one who hated him. He was persecuted. He was betrayed. He was tried. He was judged. And he was eventually murdered, crucified on a cross at the hands of the enemy, but under the plan of God himself to redeem You and me, back to God. Can we relate to Jesus? Can we relate to this story? Is there a murderer after your life? It's a disturbing Christmas, but we need to be honest with the reality that Jesus didn't just come to be a cute little baby that we sing songs about. But Jesus came to be a Messiah. He was born, as some have said, to die. And why was He born to die for us? Because we are in a place, not only that we have a murderer who's after our lives, but here's where the story gets weird, is that not only do we relate to the fact that we are pursued by our murderer, we're pursued by the... And if you don't believe in Satan, and if you don't believe in that story, you're at least pursued with the thought that one day you're going to die. That death does come knocking at all of our doors. And for some of us, even those I've talked to this morning, some of us, the Christmas season itself, because of your own family story, is marked by people dying. And you're reminded, and we're reminded that we live a life that we cannot control ultimately. That we are going to die. The murderer is after our lives, and yet we also forget in this story of Jesus born but also dying, that not only is the murderer after our lives, but the murderer 
that kills Jesus is really you and me. That it's because of our sins, the sins that we collectively as humans live, the rebellion that lives within our life. Yes, I said it. You're a murderer. I am a murderer. We are, although not present, are the reason that Jesus was crucified to the cross. We are the reason that He was born. We are the reason that He came to this world. We are the reason that He had to die because in our rebellion, in our wickedness, in our, oh, I would just like to sing some Christmas carols and make it a happy-go-lucky season, Sean. Why are you disturbing me? Because I have to disturb us, and, and I believe that probably for most of us we know the salvation of Jesus, but for all of us who live in a society, and maybe for those of us in the room who don't know or who have forgotten, this is the story of Christmas. The story is that we needed a Savior. We need, not in past tense, not with an ED. We need a Savior in this world so desperately to free us from our own murderous intentions, our own wicked pride and rebellion, but also to free us from the pursuer, the enemy that wants to destroy our life ultimately and keep us from relationship and life with God. The breath of Satan is on all of society's necks. And without a Savior, we have no hope. What is the purpose of Christ's birth? Well, Romans talks about it with us, to us. It says, for all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That the wages of this sin that is in our life is death. But that the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus came and was born to become a necessary, critical part of our own redemption. To live a sinless life. To suffer as our substitute, as our penalty bearer on the cross. To satisfy the wrath, the just wrath of God towards sinfulness in our world and sinfulness in our lives. To defeat the death that we deserve and to secure our forgiveness and salvation. He was born to die a cruel death for us. And that should within us elicit. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your birth and life and resurrection. The pastor C.J. Mahaney says it this way, that the message of Christmas confronts before it comforts It disturbs before it delights. So what is the disturbing message of Christmas? That we are broken. That we are scandalized. That we're on the run. That we're trying to escape the reality of death, but not ever escaping it. That we are in need of hope, and that there's only one person who can bring hope that is freeing and sustaining and eternal, and that is Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4 says it this way about He who has borne this for us. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. He's not standing resurrected and on his throne condemning you. He is on his throne pleading with you to receive what He has already done for you. Jesus loves us, loves you, and is 
is thankful that he had the opportunity to come to this earth, to live this life, to die for you so that you and I might be set free. Christmas, God the Father, the offended party, taking the initiative to send his only son as a life-atoning sacrifice for our sins so that we might be forgiven. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Would you pray with me as the band comes forward? Father, we thank You so much that it's Your love that awakens us to the need of a Savior. It's Your It's your proclamation as the angels shouted and declared, and we didn't read about that this morning, but as they proclaimed that the Messiah has come, it is you proclaiming today through this message and through songs and through worship and through events in our life, I am alive and I have come to set you free. This is your proclamation. And though you are dying in your sins, though you are far from me, I have made a way that you might come near to me and experience grace, forgiveness, unmerited favor, and joy and hope everlasting through the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We love you, Jesus.